At Forest Community Church, we try to be faithful to biblical and historical Christian tradition. We love tradition. And we are not ashamed of a tradition. Because a tradition is a very serious task. As we learn from our study in the first Corinthians chapter 15, gospel came to us in through the process of a tradition. So 1 Corinthians 15:3, Paul said, For what I receive, I pass on to you as of a first importance. That's the tradition. What I receive, I examine, and what I pass. And then of the first importance, the Christ died for our sin according to scripture, and he was buried and rose from the dead according to scripture. Tradition simply means dealing with the most important information. And by the way, everybody does it. So high schoolers, what do you usually ask upperclassmen? Who is a good teacher? What you know, who should I avoid? Whose class should I take? All those information is a tradition. And then, you know, college students, you might ask, you know, what's a good career? What is a good internship? All those in information is a part of tradition. Tradition is an important part of life. Everyone tried to select key information of a life and pass it on to people we love and care. Some of us, you know, find the tradition kind of old idea and they, ah, I don't need a tradition. Well, in that case, you have to reinvent a tradition. And anybody, most time people will try to create, create their own tradition, usually it's, it doesn't look good. So Samuel Johnson, uh, once he received the manuscript, and he, he read the manuscript, and it was his, uh, his response to manuscript was this. Your manuscript is both good and original. The part that is good is not original. The part that is original is not good. <laughs> So idea is that a good comes out of unoriginal, the tradition. At Forest, we aspire to be traditional in the best sense of the word. That's why we chose, uh, if you look at our worship, we are doing a hybrid worship. We do, we combine the traditional liturgy with a contemporary kind of flavor. You know, a lot of American churches, they do what pastors call the 3-1-1 worship. Three song, one sermon, one song, end of the worship. Three, one, one, liturgy. We do have invocation and benediction. And we, and we try to sort of balance tradition with a contemporary flavor. And uh, having said that, today we will continue Christian tradition to celebrate Holy Spirit through Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is one of the most crucial Sundays in Christian calendar. Seven Sundays after Easter, Christians throughout history have celebrated coming of the Holy Spirit to the world and our hearts. However, today many Christians, especially Protestants, are ignorant of Pentecost Sunday. How many of you remember Pentecost Sunday? Okay, so today maybe We'll continue. We'll start a new tradition. And uh, I, you know, even Pentecostal and charismatic churches, they're ignorant about the Pentecost Sunday that just the last week I was checking whether they observe it, and they don't. <laughs> and the one uh, charismatic uh, magazine called Charisma, one article was, shouldn't 
Pentecostal celebrate Pentecost Sunday. That was an article, and I totally agree. You know, because of our lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes I find the Christians to be a binitarian rather than being a trinitarian. We don't just believe in God, we believe triune God. And by the way, if you wonder about the meaning of a trinity, you need to come to Cornerstone Bible Study. <laughs> there you will see this is not an esoteric doctrine. This is the essential faith of our salvation. Holy Spirit is uh, indispensable in our Christian salvation and life. Spurgeon said, without Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Without Holy Spirit, we are like a ship without wind. He's an 18th century person the sail ship is talking about. We are useless. We are ship without wind. It's like uh, owning Tesla without electricity. <laughs> it's like uh, whatever, wonderful things without uh, you know, essential energy. And today we will see this a great work, that work of God through the Holy Spirit. And in order to understand and appreciate the Pentecost Sunday, the coming of the Holy Spirit, we will look at uh, two important passages in the Bible. First in the Old Testament, the other one in the New Testament. And the uh, first passage we're going to look at is uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 9. And let's read it responsibly. This is a well-known story of a tower of a Babel. Tower of a Babel. So let's read responsibly. Now the whole world has one language and common speech. They said to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used a brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. But the Lord came down to see the city and tower the people were building. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Now let's read together. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The story of the Tower of Babel is a story of a rebellion against God and his purpose. What's wrong about building? What's wrong with a building a city or tower that reached to not heavens means a sky, tall, tall, tall tower. There is entire their project, there is no mention of God. This grand, uh, this grand project is utterly godless, godless. In fact, this is act of disobedience to the will of God. Because if you look at the Genesis 1.28, God told Adam and Eve, all human beings, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground to obey God's command. 
to rule the earth in behalf of God or being a God's manager or steward, they have to fill the earth, right? Fill the earth means you have to travel the earth. You have to be scattered around the earth. And going to new place and pioneering new homeland is not easy. Often uncomfortable and even dangerous. By the way, when we obey God's call, expect discomfort, expect danger, expect pain. But at the same time, expect this. When God sends us, He goes with us. That's the good news. So even though you go to a new place, God will be there. That's what Jesus promised the disciples. Go everywhere to make a disciples and, uh, uh, of everybody. And uh, until the end of the world, I will be with you. So wherever God calls us or sends us, there will be God. So even though we have to come out of our comfort zone, there is a consolation. God will be there for us. Yes, it's difficult, but we will experience God's power greater than ever. But in this case, this descendant of Noah and his children, they decide to stay put in the east of Eden. They're traveling to the east world and create their own city with a security and self-made religion. And the ziggurat, I mean the tower, tower is most likely is the ziggurat. This is a very common uh, religious temple in the ancient Middle East, everywhere. And actually, it's almost universal because a similar structure we found in America, right? In you know, American in the Incas and Mayans and the Aztecs, and the, some part of uh, even uh, Asia have this kind of structure. It's called ziggurat. Ziggurat. And this tower is symbolism of their civilization and their power. And this is a quintessential example of a religion. Religion unifying, rallying the people with a purpose and pride. It's a pinnacle of a self-made humanism. You know, throughout the history, human beings, especially clever national or political leaders, they employ religion for political purpose. So during, for instance, during the uh, Roman Empire, they use uh, emperor worship. Once again, take a cornerstone, you'll learn. Full thing. And uh, you know, during the Nazis, they also, first thing Nazis got a hold of it was a German national church. And they made a Nazi, you know, a clergy out for their propaganda. And uh, some of you know about the history of Japan. During the May, you know, how Japan successfully transitioned in a, such a short period of time from the medieval feudal state to the national central government state, major reform, we call it a major reform, because they made, they use a Shinto state, or state Shintoism. Shinto is Shinto or Japanese, you know, traditional religion used to be domestic. They brought it into the political dimension, and then that's how they did it. And today's you know, example of a people using religion for political purpose will be Islamic Republic, ISIS, Iran, and all these places. And they have all one thing in common, using religion to get what they want. 
And I want you to hear. Here we so first point of this uh, first point of uh, today's uh, message about the Pentecost is this. As we already know that God rejected Tower of Babel. That means God rejected religion. God rejected religion. And about that, let me read uh, uh, an article that published uh, a day after 9-11-2001, okay? Day after, a day immediately after 9-11, uh, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. In the, in the British newspaper, it said this. Many of us saw religion as a harmless nonsense. Belief might lack supporting evidence, but we thought if people needed a crutch for consolation, where is the harm? September 11th changed all that. Revealed faith is not harmless nonsense. It can be lethally dangerous nonsense. Dangerous because it gives a people unshakable confidence in their own righteousness. Dangerous because it gives them false courage to kill themselves, which automatically remove normal barrier to killing others. Dangerous because it teaches enmity to others who are labeled only by the difference of inherited tradition. And dangerous because we have all bought into a weird respect which uniquely protects religion from normal criticism. Let us now stop being so damned respectable to religion. Guess who wrote this? David Lee. Guess who wrote this? This is somebody that David know. I'm not personally read. <laughs> that is written by Richard Dawkins. Very vocal atheist in England. Actually, he, he is a vocal. He was saying, he's saying that religion is nothing but a God delusion. We need to grow up. Religion is not innocuous. innocuous. It's not innocent and harmless. Religion is dangerous. Religion is not just a comfort for the after death. Religion makes us do all kinds of dangerous things. That's what he's saying. How do you feel about it as a critic? You know what? A lot of great Christian thinkers and theologians agree with him. Not it. So I'll give you some of them. Because it related to us. Those of you have taken my Bible study, you heard about Karl Barth, the greatest theologian of the 20th century. And uh, through him, we totally returned to orthodoxy. And uh, well, I'll stop here. But anyway, <laughs> Karl Barth once said the message of the Bible is that God hates religion. The message of the Bible is that God hates religion. And then, when he attacked the religion, he was not talking about other religions. You know what he's actually attacking? Karl Barth said the worst religion of all is a Christian religion. When Christianity became a religion, he said that's the worst of all. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, living, active, personal relationship. But Christians, Christianity, can become a man-made religion. And that's where the wrath of God is awaiting for us. And this is what he said. Religion is a grasping. Man tried to grasp at truth by himself. 
But in that case, he does not do what he has to do when truth comes to him. He does not believe. If he did, he would listen. But in religion, he talks. If he did believe, he would accept whatever God's truth is a gift. But in religion, he takes something for himself. Religion, you know, people take as a right. If he did, he would let the God himself intercede for God. But in religion, he ventures to grasp as God. And Barthes continued, the myth of a Tower of Babel is perhaps the Bible's most dramatic symbolic depiction of a religious impulse, the temptation, the grasping of the ultimate. In that saga, in this saga, terrify the precariousness of a human creature who would, we try to grasp the security on our hand through the religion. We are afraid of a creaturehood. People don't want to be scattered. By the way, going back to Genesis chapter one, chapter eleven story, you know that three, the key word there is a being scattered. In order to avoid the scattering, they are building the tower, and God came out and scattered them by confusing language, and that's how the everybody was scattered on on the earth. Three times the passage talking about scattered. When people seeking security out their own way. That's how the religion is attacking human beings. I want to say, you know, human beings, we are being a creature made by God. We are not creator. We are not, we are finite being. That means we are insecure. We are not strong. You think we are strong? Guess one day when doctor tells you you have something wrong in your body, you will know you are told your life is totally shaken. We are fragile beings. We are utterly fragile beings. I, I, I really, if I want to make a t-shirt for our church one day, this is the idea, I want to make that handle with a care. <laughs> and then I will say, me or us. Human beings, we are so fragile. We can be easily hurt by each other. Even, I don't have to go in this, right? You know? My one word can ruin your week, right? Okay, I'll register temptation. <laughs> Point is, we are fragile beings. The problem is that people, when they try to find the security, not in God's presence and their love, but in their own power, in their own hegemony, this is where religion comes out and shows its teeth. And we use the religion, even Christianity. Before Karl Barth's attack on Christianity, there was actually a Dutch Christian thinker named uh, Soren Kierkegaard in uh, 19th century. He wrote a book. The title of the book is Attack on Christendom. Isn't that great? Attack on Christendom. Because his, he, the book was basically saying Danish church needs to restore itself to New Testament Christianity. And then he revealed a deep, uh, profound uh, psychological insight about faith. Actually, he was saying that to be a Christian, he said, you have to make your own decision. You cannot go along with the crowd. To be a Christian, you have to be, make a radical individual choice. And this is how he became a father of existentialism. 
To exist means to make a choice. Take a leap of a faith. And in the book, Kierkegaard said this, apostasy from Christianity will not come about openly by everybody renouncing Christianity. No, but slyly, cunningly, canavishly, everybody assuming the name of being Christian, thinking that in this way all were more secured against Christianity. Christianity of the New Testament, which people are afraid of. So Kierkegaard was saying that true Christianity is not a cultural Christianity, but New Testament Christianity. In New Testament time, to be a Christian is a very difficult. You have to go against the world. But somehow in 18th century, in Western Europe, being a Christianity is a given thing. You're just born in Christian family, you're infant baptized, and you grew up in the church, you can marry the church, everything, you know. So you just, you know, you just assume that you're a Christian. To be a Christian is to make an individual personal choice. You have to become a person of your own. By the same token, greatest hindrance of a gospel is a cultural, domesticated, religious Christianity. We don't belong to Christendom, we belong to the kingdom of Christ. Amen? Amen? Some conservative Americans are confused about this. We belong to Christ. And Christ's agenda is bigger than our national agenda. Another, you know, uh, uh, German, another American, uh, another modern theologian, I don't like him, but uh, I just quoted him. Paul Tillich, German-American theologian, he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. The burden, Paul Tillich said, burden Jesus wants to take from us is a burden of a religion. We are permanently in danger of abusing Jesus by stating he's a founder of a new religion or bring up another more refined and more enslaving law. He's a more than priest or prophet or religious genius. This all subject us to religion. He frees us from religion. We call Jesus the Christ not because he brought a new religion, but because he's the end of religion, above the religion and new religion, above Christianity and the non-Christianity. We spread his call because it's a call to every person in every period to receive the new being that comes from God and his spirit. So, coming back to the story of the Tower of Babel. You know, this, uh, people in the Tower of Babel, I, th- I find that in the church. God called them to fill the earth. They don't want to go. They want to stay. And they want to you know, create their own safety, right? That happens in the church. Instead of you know, going out for the loss, oftentimes the church, we build our own hotel. Once again, the cultural Christianity is uh, making churches a hotel for saints instead of a hospital for the sinners. Even in the house church that happens. You know, every house church, there is always temptation, especially when house church is experiencing great fellowship, quote-unquote community stage. Finally, after a while struggling, we are clicking. We're really sharing our life together. And then temptation comes. Let's not bring new people. Let's just stay here. 
You know, it's like uh, uh, the three disciples. Lord, this is so good. Let's stay on the top of the mountain. Why we go down? We love your glory. You know, any times we just stay people that we like and forget the people that God called us to care for, simply by inviting the new people and VIPs to our house church, guess what? You're building a Tower of Babel. Yes, church can be Tower of Babel. Our family can be Tower of Babel. So in order for us to grow, God calls us to host strangers. I'm repeating last week's sermon here. So hospitality is going after the lost. It is, a very, it is the ultimate way that we experience God's blessing and the true security that God provides for us. Now, let's move on to our main text today. Having now read where we failed in Genesis, now let's see the Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. So Genesis 1 is talking about God's rejection of a religion, including Christian religion. God calls us to follow him with faith and trust, even at the risk. Now, we hear Acts chapter 2, we will see God's reversal of Babel and his redemption of all the uh, curses. Now, Acts chapter 2, let's read together, verse 1, responsibly. Brothers, we go together first. One, two, three. When the day of the Pentecost came, they are all together in one place. They saw what seemed to be tongues of a fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Utterly amazed, they asked, and all these who are speaking Galileans? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. On the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, we see the initial reversal of a Bible through the Holy Spirit. Now, God gives everyone understanding so that everyone can speak and proclaim what Jesus has done, not in one language, but multiple languages. That's a very important. In the Tower of Babel, we feel, oh my goodness, that the blessing and, and blessing of a common language is gone. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all speak just in one language, right? But guess what? When the Holy Spirit came, he didn't reveal God in just one Jesus in one language, but multiple languages, right? I don't know how, 
this is incredibly profound and significant. You know why? That means God affirms every culture and every language and everybody. This is again very huge difference between Christianity and Islam. Islam, they privileged the only Arabic language and Arabic culture because Quran came in the Arabic language. So actually wherever Islam is spread, they eradicated native you know, culture and they kind of replaced, they enforced the Arabic culture on, on the people. Christianity is a difference. It affirms every language. This is the end of a Babel and the beginning of a new humanity in Christ. Instead of people climbing up to God, we see God coming down to people, not in judgment, but for salvation. Instead of people gathering in one location to make their name great, now God is telling people that scatter everywhere that are to, to, to share the great name of Jesus, who remembers you, who redeems you, who wrote your name in the book of life. And here we see languages are now redeemed. So the triune God of a mission is revealed to everyone. I want to make a few points on the Pentecost on the Old Testament. You know, it's on the day of a Pentecost, right? Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. That's where the name Pente, 50 literally in Greek came, Pentecost. This was a harvest celebration of a harvest. Crops are ready for harvesting. At Pentecost, we see Holy Spirit harvesting hearts of the people, coming into the field of a humans and people's lives and then really cutting them to the heart with a conviction about the crucified Christ and his resurrection. Not only that, another importance of the Pentecost to Jewish people is that they celebrated giving of the law to Moses on the day of the Pentecost. At Pentecost, God didn't give us a new law, but God gave us deeper law, law of the Spirit. The Jeremiah 31, 33 says, this is a covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after the time, that end time, I'll put my law in their minds and write on their heart. I will be their God, they will be my people. When Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, he writes God's desire in our heart. God gives a law of the Spirit, law of Christ. So Holy Spirit gives us a power. And they hear this power is a power of a communication. And this is a point that I want to share with everyone. When the Holy Spirit comes, we are able to communicate one another. And this is very important. Very important. Communication is a critical in building relationship. Whenever you see relationship is broken, what is broken? What is dysfunctional? Communication, right? When, when last time you had a fight with your spouse, what was wrong? There was a communication. You know, usually, you know, you, or you, you, with your child, what's the problem? Just communicate. Communicate, deeper the communication, the stronger the relationship. And Walter Burgerman, the Old Testament scholar, but he caught my attention on this passage. I know this is X chapter uh, 2 passage. But he said the key in this passage is not a speaking in tongues, but actually hearing. 
because verse 6 and 8 and uh, 11, three times, they're wondering, we are hearing these incredible things. These Galileans, by the way, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, they're called the Galileans. You know, that is not a... Uh, when people call you Galilean, you shouldn't smile. They're mocking you. You know, and throughout the early church, whenever uh, uh, pagans made a fun, non-believers make a fun of a Christian, they call Christians a Galilean, regardless. Being a Galilean means you're hillbilly, uneducated, almost like a stupid. And these are the Galileans, but we are hearing them speaking our tongues, our tongues. So Walter Brueggemann said that the miracle of a Pentecost is more than new gift of speech, but a gift of a hearing God's message. Gift of a hearing God's message. By the way, Holy Spirit is an enabler of a communication. Holy Spirit opens our mind gives us, I mean, oh, he enlightens our mind about Christ and then gives us the courage to our heart and then even, you know, the word to articulate what we believe in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is an enabler of a communication. You know, in the New Testament, Holy Spirit is associated with the fellowship. You know, the, the Trinitarian, you know, benediction, Second Corinthians, is that the, may the grace of Jesus Christ and love of God the Father and what of the Holy Spirit? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit help us to communicate better. So we really enjoy each other. And we really find the common ground. We bond together. That is a fellowship, koinonia. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of a communication. You know, this is not a something supernatural. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what, what happened? When you want to lash at somebody, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit break on your mouth and say, no, say something else. And give you wisdom. You know? All the great communication that we exchange with one another, it comes through the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a real articulate, eloquent speaker. When you're with, filled with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit tamed the tongue that no one can tame. That is a greater gift than speaking foreign languages. Some charismatic, they get this very selectively. You have to have a super kind of a, well, you know, I speak three languages. I know it's other languages too. I at least can read. But you know what? It didn't come supernaturally. It came at the expense of people who were hearing my learning. And some of you, you know, attest to that. And here, here, the key is this. The, the, I meditate in the, this, uh, Acts chapter 2. The Galilean disciples of Jesus, all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, they feel the Holy Spirit in their heart and mind, and all of a sudden they were, they were scared to stay in this uh, upper room of uh, somebody, Mark, John Mark, and then all of a sudden they burst out and they talking about Jesus, but what came out of their mouth was not an Aramaic. They start speaking foreign language, and do you think they understood what they spoke? 
I don't think so. This is Galilean Jesus. Something is, I'm speaking, but I don't understand what I'm speaking. And all of a sudden, people say, when did you go to Spain that you speak Spanish? When were you in Italy that you speak Italian? When did you go to Persia? They, they were all amazed. You speak in my language. And am I, am I, you know, you just look at the disciples. They were, I think the disciples are more perplexed as much than even the listeners. And here is a point. Sometimes we speak bad things without knowing God is using us. And the Holy Spirit allows us to hear what God intends to say. And I have a one uh, testimony. A few weeks ago in our, one of our house churches, I attended. And uh, you know, one of the you know, we have a few uh, people going through some uh, very difficult marriage time, and I'm sharing this with the permission of that person. And uh, the person said, oh, the relationship is really in the final stage, and they're going through separation, and now it's been a few months, and then they're thinking about, oh, I even miss arguing with that, my spouse. I feel so lonely. When the person shared that, Holy Spirit spoke to me and allowed me to hear that, Paul, did you just hear that arguing with your spouse is a blessing? And Jamie and I, we argue very frequently. <laughs> yeah. She is a formidable, you know, aspiring partner. Man alive. I'm a PhD, but I cannot argue with my wife. She, I'm a, she's just a, you know, manhandle me. Easy, easy, easy. You know, you saw, where did you get the, all that degrees, stupid? Uh, and then, you know, of course, what man loves, wants, you know, likes to lose, lose argument to, especially the woman that we're supposed to lead. So, we argue. And then, you know, I tried to get back the second round that, you know, you said this and then trying to re restart and win the argument. But all of a sudden, after that, guess what? I know it is a luxurious complaint that I have. So, you know, you know what happened afterward? I argue with Jamie with joy and gratitude. <laughs> we still argue, but I know it's a blessing that some people don't have. We argue because we love one another. Point is this, in the house church, that particular person didn't know that I would get this kind of incredible understanding that I helped my marriage this much, and my also parenting too. That person just shared honestly in front of everybody. He got you know, that person naked again. And through the naked speech, God cut my heart. And this is oftentimes God's words. We speak, we don't know what we speak, you know, we just try to be faithful and obedient to God, but you know what? That we make an impact greater than we ever imagined. When we are obedient to God, little things, God uses us mightily. Disciples of Jesus, they have no idea what they're talking, but around people, around them, all these Jewish pilgrims from other quarter of the world, they are all saying, this is a, what is this? God is speaking to us in our own tongue. 
it's a miracle to hear our own tongue. I think it's still a miracle to hear God speaking through our house church and our fellowship. Let me close out my sermon. Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost text is a place at the beginning of Acts. Because from this one, church is starting a new community, right? And I said this is a reversal of a Tower of Babel, right? If you really look at the Genesis chapter 9, that's a flood. Chapter 9 is about the flood of Noah. Chapter 10 is a Noah's descendant. If you look at the, just quickly look at the chapter 10, the title of the chapter 10 in most Bible is a table of nations. It simply speaks about where all the different people came out to this world through three, they're the descendants of three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Yafesh. Look, when he wrote the, all the names of the pilgrims you know, all over the, the, the known world at the time, he was saying this. The table of the nations is now turned. God gave us a Holy Spirit. Now we can communicate to everybody in the world. And this is what Holy Spirit does for us. When we obey him, he will empower our communication with the love and wisdom and courage. And we say what God wanted to say to the people who really need to hear and help them to hear. So a question I have for all forest, our forest, everyone here, is a, what kind of community are we going to be? Are we going to be Tower of Babel community, which grabs its own security and safety and comfort more than anything else? Or are we going to be the community of a Pentecost? the Holy Spirit, who learned to speak the foreign language in an interact with a stranger and try to hear them and talk to them and really see God's word. We're going to sing a song about Holy Spirit. And uh, let's look at the, I want, before we sing, I want you to, we want, I want all of us to read together. Because oftentimes we just sing along with the melody, but this is a, I want us to read together. Let's read together. One, two, three. There is a nothing worse more than the world ever come close. Nothing can compare your our living hope, your presence. I tested it and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart comes becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come float this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let's all stand and sing this song as our prayer that the Holy Spirit flood our family, my heart, and our house church in our church.